Good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers today. We're so glad you decided to join us for our roll-up service. Roll in, drive up, drive in. I don't know. It's just good to see your faces in your cars. I hope that uh, you'll just join in, sing along with us this morning as we begin to worship.
chapter 2 says that God exalted him, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Death could not hold you, they'll tore before you, silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, Yeah. 
Almighty God, we praise you this morning because you are a great and amazing God. Lord Jesus, we praise your holy name. And we recognize this morning that you are exalted above every other name in all the earth, in heaven and under the earth. Father, I pray today as we continue in worship that our focus will be only on you. Father, we leave, that we leave today saying what an amazing God we serve. Father, continue to teach us. Holy Spirit, continue to reveal yourself to us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you out this morning. Um, it, it's kind of fun to get out here and, and gather together. And, and I want us to, um, I want us to, to remember about, um, about this whole idea of gathering together and think about that. Because when the church is gathered, there is strength in that. And at the same time, when the church is scattered, God's able to do some amazing things. And so we've seen both sides of that. And uh, as, we, as we go forward, uh, I want to let you know a couple of things. One is that we are going to be, over the next week or so, um, developing a plan to get us back into the building. And so, um, so we, we will get back into the building after working through some things and making sure that we are keeping safe with the way we enter the building. And so it will mean some hygiene things. It will also likely mean that we will meet um, in a couple different worship, worship services and not necessarily meet for Sunday school to begin with. And so we'll, we'll develop an interim plan that will include state and, and federal um, guidelines and so we can get back in the building. Uh, the other thing I wanted to let you know of is that we are starting um, this series called Porch Conversations. Um, and I don't know if, if you grew up with a porch, um, but... We, we did. We had a side porch. Our front porch where I grew up was about three by three, and so gathering the whole family on that porch was a little bit impossible. 
So my dad built a and poured a cement pad on the pad on the side of the house, and um, and that's where we did a lot of our gathering. And we would sit there and we would talk about family and vacation and jumping in the pool and all kinds of things. And we would also discuss serious things. Uh, it was a place where um, we would learn things about our family and, and we'd learn things about other people's families. And so the, the porch became this, this spot for sharing. And so as we begin this series, um, we're going to kind of land on a porch and have some discussion about some things that are really important. Um, I just want to say on the front end, Happy Mother's Day. Um, it is, is, I'm glad that you come to the porch today. And so um, Mother's Day is an important day. Um, last night, as is kind of my habit, is uh, before I come to bed, is, is I sit down with my notes and start going over the next day's message. And I don't spend a ton of time doing it, but last night started into this thing and started thinking about my mom and um, the anniversary of my mom's death is coming up. It'll be 10 years in October. And so it's just thinking about her and thinking about some things, posted her picture on Facebook and things like that, and just started thinking about what she meant in my life. And, and I realized that, um, that there are a lot of memories that go along with my mom. Uh, she was a unique individual, went through some things later in life that, that were very difficult physically. Uh, but, I, but I learned a lot from watching her. And we, may, we all have memories of our moms. Uh, and maybe it's not the, the biological mom. Maybe it's a surrogate that, that had that place in your life. But we, we have memories that go along with that. And we have moms that are not perfect nor are they identical. You know, some moms were the moms that would get up and fix eggs and bacon, biscuits, gravy, and all that kind of stuff. I had a, I had a friend who grew up in a household kind of like that, only it, he, his mom went to the extreme. She would fix all that, and then she would also fix pies and cakes, and, and they had a, a full meal with dessert every single morning. And I'm thinking, golly, that's... That's a ton of stuff. So your mom may have been eggs, bacon, biscuits, gravy, that kind of thing. Um, and then there are some moms that are more along the order of um, Fruit Loops and instant breakfast. And that, that's, the, that's how your household went. And so moms are not perfect. They're not, not identical. They have strengths and weaknesses. And if we looked at some Bible moms, we would find the same thing. Jochebed who is Moses' mom, and we read about her in Exodus 1 and 2, um, we find that, that she gave birth to a son and then placed him in a basket, eventually ends up in Pharaoh's household. We don't really even learn her name till Exodus 6. So Jochebed would be a, a Bible mom. Hannah was another mom. It was the, the mom to, to Samuel, and she was a lady of prayer. We learn about her in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And then you get the flip side of the coin with Rebecca. Rebecca, we read her story in Genesis 27. You know, she was the, the mother to Jacob and Esau, and you know that she was a little on the deceptive side. She helped Jacob gain that blessing from Isaac. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 1, we read about Timothy's mom, Eunice, that she had great faith and 
and even um, Timothy's grandmother had faith. And Paul talks about that and says, don't, don't forget to look at your mom and your grandmother. You've been given this legacy in your life of great faith. And we all often remember things about our mom. Faith may be one of those pieces. But we remember habits and mannerisms. Uh, we remember funny stories and sayings. And some sayings are worth holding on to and remembering. Some, eh, maybe not. Um, I, I looked up some quotes, and, and I, I've, there's a couple in here that my mom would tell me. Um, but here's, here's one. It says, whatever you do, do it well and try your hardest. Second one is, anything worth doing is worth working for. I'm not sure I heard that from my mom as much as I heard it from my dad. And then this one, um, buy organic food. Now, I just want to tell you, I never heard that in my house growing up. Um, organic food, I don't, I don't even know if that was a thing. But just to clarify how far we were away from a statement like buy organic food, um, I was in the Fruit Loops instant breakfast group. Uh, we didn't do the eggs, bacon, grits, and all that kind of stuff. And so um, buy organic food is another saying that somebody used somewhere. Um, and then this one, I want you to kind of finish this, and you'll get it. If all your friends jumped off a cliff, you fin can you finish it? Yeah, would you jump too, right? And then um, you don't have to like it, you just have to try it. I think that was the phrase that came up at dinner time around beets and some other vegetables that, that I really had no liking of. So you just, you don't have to like it, you just have to try it. And then this one, and I thought about whether this was really good for a Sunday morning, but I thought, hey, we're outside, it's okay. Here it is. And um, this is one my mom did tell me. She says, always wear clean underwear in case you have an accident and have to go to the hospital. That, that was one of the things she told me. And I'm thinking, Mom, I always do. Please don't tell me that in front of my friends. So it was, you know, we all have these sayings, and some of them are worth remembering. When we get to um, this passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about this morning, there are some incredible statements that Jesus makes that are worth remembering but they actually hold a little bit more weight than that because they're good for applying it to our lives. They guide our lives. And so I've got two goals this morning. The first goal is to grasp the weight of the statements. And Jesus is going to begin each statement with the word blessed are or the blessing is yours, that kind of thing. And I want us to grasp the weight of what Jesus is saying. The second thing is I want us to grapple with the application of it. You see, if we just listen to it and we kind of hold on to it, but we never apply it, then we're missing out on what Jesus wants us to do with what he says. If all my mom and dad ever shared from the porch were things for me to listen to but never apply, I would have gotten in way more trouble than, than it would have been worth. And so we have to take what Jesus is share, what he shares and apply it. So the big idea for us this morning is that Jesus' version of a blessed life is controversially true. Jesus' version of a blessed life is controversially true. And so if we look at these statements, what we're going to find is we're going to find that he makes these statements, and they're plain statements, but he makes them in such a way 
that it disturbs the people that are listening. Remember, Matthew writes this from a perspective of writing to a Jewish audience, and Jesus has a Jewish audience here in chapter 5, and Matthew shares this, and the things that Jesus is going to share are things that disturb them. It, it moved them off of their comfort level because they had grown up with certain traditions, certain thought patterns, and Jesus was messing all that up by stating some of the things that he states in Matthew chapter 5. And so they made people feel uncomfortable. In some ways, they were scandalous. He challenged what they thought and what they believed. And he challenged it because he used the word blessed at the front of the statements. And when you take the word blessed and you put it in front of something that doesn't actually seem to be something that would bring a blessing, then it's going to cause some, some uncomfort, uncomfortableness. I'm not even sure that's a word. But he's, he's going to cause some discomfort in that. Because we like to stay in that place that's, that's right for us, that place of ease. And they would too. So he defines blessed in a different way. You see, in earthly terms, we would define blessed that, that comes along with income or job status or power or influence, the ability to go wherever we want to go, whenever we want to go there, and not have a governor or a president or anybody else tell us what to do, right? We like that kind of freedom. And so when we think of blessed, we think of all the earthly things that could fit in that category. But Jesus doesn't mention any of those in chapter 5, starting at verse 3. In fact, he says stuff that we would throw in the, in the idea of maybe this is a punishment of God, or this is something that, that brings a curse, but it's not that at all. Jesus is going to share something that goes beyond what normal definitions of blessed are. It's a different different definition of blessed. So let's read, starting in chapter 5 at verse 1, we'll read down through verse 12. It says this, chapter 5, verse 1 of the Gospel of Matthew. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteous, righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can you imagine sitting to in front of Jesus and listening to him make these statements. It's almost as if Jesus takes all these things that are going through God's mind about 
what a relationship with him means and what the kingdom of heaven means and kind of just saying, here you go, just kind of dumping it on them. And they've got to soak all this in. It's kind of interesting when you read through chapters 5 through 7, you realize that this beginning part of chapter 5 is really the beginning of what Jesus is going to unpack in the rest of that in, in the rest of that sermon or in the rest of that discourse. And so he's going to unpack ideas about, about prayer. He's going to unpack ideas about marriage and relationship, about praying and the relationship to God. He's going to unpack righteousness and mercy. He's going to unpack all the things that are in these first few verses of chapter 5. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to run through these verses, and it's going to seem very quick, but as we go through the next several weeks from now till Father's Day in this Porch Conversation series, is we're going to look at that and kind of unpack several of these ideas in different ways. And so don't get frustrated because we're going through this so quick. Just understand this is an introduction to the whole series as we go. And so Jesus, in chapter 5, it says, Seeing the crowds, so we have a large crowd, gathered seeing the crowds and having no sound system or video system and none of that he did what he sat down see he didn't have the advantage of all this he was just on a on a hill he went up on a mountain and he sat down his disciples came to him so you get the picture large crowd disciples around jesus is there and he just sits down and he be, opens his mouth and he begins to teach. It's interesting that Matthew uses these words because when Pastor Isaiah comes to my office and I relay that Pastor Isaiah came to my office, what I, I don't state that Pastor Isaiah came to my office and he opened his mouth and began to say this. That's not the phrasing that I would use. I would just say, hey, I, Isaiah came to my office and this is what he said. Or Pastor Jeremiah or anybody else, this is just what they said. We would assume that they opened their mouth and began to talk. But Matthew says he opened his mouth and he began to teach them or he taught them. It's interesting that word mouth is just what it is. It's a mouth, but there's a second meaning in the Greek um, when it talks about that. And the second meaning is the edge of a sword. And when you think about that, it's the, the cutting edge of the sword. It has the ability to cut. It comes with power. So when Matthew writes this, he's not just writing about Jesus sitting up or sitting and, and just beginning this conversation. He's talking about Jesus coming to the place and beginning to teach with the authority that is recognized later by the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that were around Jesus. Because he did not teach like the scribes or the Pharisees. He taught as somebody with authority. And so um, if we could, we have to understand that when we talk about the cutting, the sword-like idea of the mouth, understand that it's not about bullying, it's about authority. And so we can move over to Revelation chapter 1, and it's another picture of this Jesus that we would consider meek and mild and calm and cool and collected, sitting there with his disciples in this big crowd. But this is the picture that needs to kind of go with this. It, it cannot just be that picture. It's got to be this other picture. It says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Then I turned to see the voice, this is John, 
who writes this, he, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. So you get this picture of Jesus that's a little bit different than this, this guy sitting on the side of a hill. It says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth, now here, catch this, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, not only is that an intimidating picture of sorts, but it speaks to the authority and the might of Almighty God that is now sitting in the context of teaching disciples and a crowd of people. That same Jesus. I know that you guys are in your car, but if I look up and I look at the sun, and you know I'm not supposed to do that, if I look at that, I know it's extremely bright. The sun in its full shining, like this morning, is just part of the description of Jesus. And so this same Jesus, who is the, the Word made flesh, is sharing this list of blessings in chapter 5. And so we come to this and we say, we've got to remember this. If the God of all creation is sharing this, we ought to remember it, and not just remember it, but we ought to apply it. And so let's go through these one verse at a time. We'll move through them fairly quickly, and what I'm going to do is I'll read the verse. I'll tell you what the, the fill-in-the-blank thing is for the message notes, if you want to do that. Um, and we'll just keep cruising through this and gain some insight into each piece of this as we go. So verse 3. Said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, the key phrase here is to seek after God. That word poor in spirit, or the idea of being poor, has the idea of um, a beggar. It's somebody who is in need of something. You know, if we picture a beggar, and, and we see folks along the side of the road, and they say, you know, we'll work for food or whatever it happens to be, and we kind of put them in that category. But when we talk about this picture here, we're talking about somebody who is sitting alongside the road just waiting for somebody to bless them with something. And so they were beggars. And what did beggars know beyond anything? They knew what they desired, and they knew what they needed. At least we think they do. If you think about blind Bartimaeus or, or the man at the pool of Bethesda, they were people that, that said, I need the blessing of God in my life, and I'm going to beg for it. And so we get to, to this and we realize this idea of poor in spirit is the idea that we have to be beggars. We blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is that a beggar, which we are, if we are in this category, are seeking God. We seek after God. And with that comes the humility to fall under God's leadership, the humility that sees the need for God and a relationship with Him. 2 Chronicles 7.14, a very familiar passage, says that if we will, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves. It's the idea of falling under God's authority. 
It's what Asa shared in 2 Chronicles 14.4 when he says, and encouraged the people to seek after God. It wasn't that they needed to just find God for his blessing. It was that they needed to be in a place where they were under the hand and authority of God and following him. There was protection and provision in that. So Asa commands the people to seek after God. So that's the first one, seek after God. The second one found in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the key here is to lean into God. Not just seek after God, but lean into God. Where do people look for comfort apart from God? They look in a lot of different places. You can seek comfort. And what we're looking for is we're looking for something that that brings a a healing to us in some form or fashion. Um, But when we seek that comfort away from the person of God, we are really suppressing the real healing that can take place only by God. And so we see people turn to alcohol or drugs or or even friendships. They they turn from to other things besides the Lord who made everything. Jeremiah, not not Pastor Jeremiah, but Prophet Jeremiah in chapter eight writes this, and we have to understand that Jeremiah was a prophet that was sent to tell a very difficult message to a nation. And he said this, he said, For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? And, and what Jeremiah is writing here, you see, I'm complaining. I'm complaining because, God, you brought this on the nation and I'm in mourning, I am in grief, and I need you to bring healing to this, and it doesn't seem like you're very close. See, in fact, it seems like you're a long way away. But we have to understand this about God, where when, when Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, that God never gets us into a place of mourning and then abandons us to deal with it. We may go through sections or periods of time where we are mourning or in grief, but God is the one who will bring comfort. So we can move to the last chapters of the book of Jeremiah and see where God brings comfort and promise to the nation. A promise of healing, a promise of restoration, a promise that of all that they need. And so it's a, a movement from this grief to being comforted by God. Paul addressed the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 when he, when he made the statement that we do not grieve as those with no hope. And so because of Jesus, we can actually approach the heartache of someone, someone's death differently. The fifth verse, chapter or verse 5, says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The key phrase here is to stay humble before God. Stay humble before God. Another way to put it is to allow God to be God in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 6, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, is to, is to um, put ourselves or humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's allowing God to be God. And so blessed are the meek or the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The key phrase here is to pursue the holiness of God. When we pursue the holiness of God, it's something that takes place in us. We want the, the, the purity of God. We want God's characteristics to not just invade our lives, but to be evident in our lives. We could be with the psalmist in Psalm 42, 1, when he says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. It's a longing for satisfaction that comes through the freshness of a living stream or a moving stream. It's not stale. And so we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're coming before God and saying, God, impart to me your character. And Father, and, and the idea also in this is that it's not a, hey, I've hungered and thirsted for righteousness in this one spot in my life. It's a continuation of that over and over again. God, I'm going to continue to get hungry and thirsty for your righteousness. I would venture to say that, that everybody here in this parking lot today ate something yesterday. But my guess is also that you will not go through this whole day without eating something again or drinking something. And you will do it again tomorrow and the next day. You know, unless you're doing an extended fast, at some point you're going to eat. You're going to be hungry and you're going to thirst for something. And just the way that is described in physical terms, it is also a spiritual discipline and a spiritual idea that we hunger and thirst after God. Verse 7. Well, let me, let me give you one more verse. Matthew 6, 33, seek first His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Okay, now on to verse 7. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The key phrase here is to practice forgiving like God. Practice forgiving like God. So if we were to take a look at our lives and really evaluate our lives, and I'd go back to that porch on the side of my house, if I were to sit down in August of that year when, when I was sitting, sitting there and having conversation with my parents from that point till now, are there any things for which I needed forgiveness and I needed mercy? Sure there are. And my guess is if you went back just a little bit of time, you'd find yourself in the same spot. I don't have to go back all the way to the porch when I was a kid to figure out that I needed mercy and forgiveness. That sort of happens on a regular basis. And so we need the mercy and forgiveness of God, but at the same time, it's our responsibility as we live out the character of Christ to offer forgiveness and mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Daniel realized this in chapter 9, verse 9, he said, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. So even if you talk earthly forgiveness and earthly mercy, that's one thing. But we extend the character of God when we realize that we need God's mercy more than ever. We need His forgiveness. And so we offer that same thing to others. We're going to run across this again when we get to Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. And He says um, to help me to forgive others. 
so we are to be people that practice forgiving like God. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The key in this one is to keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. And when we talk about um, pure in heart, what are we talking about? We're talking about inside. We're talking about that which is inward instead of outward. You remember Jesus, and this may be one of those places where the, the Pharisees and the scribes had the most issue with Jesus because they were adorning themselves on the outside for a particular image that they wanted to portray among the people of Israel. Now, I, would, I, I know it's somewhat easy to dress any way you want to when you're in your cars in a parking lot. I know there was, there was at least one, maybe more, that were wearing pajamas first service in their car because they knew they weren't going to get out of their cars. And so they may have worn that. You may have gotten all dressed up, but when we get out of our cars and come into the building, we feel like we have to dress in a certain way. It's not fancy. It doesn't have to be fancy. We don't do, uh, there's probably a few that do suit and ties and dresses and all that, but that's not the rule across the board. But I don't know that I've ever seen anybody come into the sanctuary on a Sunday morning in pajamas. But we're not talking about outward appearance. What Jesus is dealing with here, the pure in heart, is that inward part of us that ought to be changed because of our relationship with Him. It's the, the stirring on the inside that creates what is actually seen on the outside. And so, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This relationship with Christ, it brings purity. Romans 8, chapter, or Romans 8 verse 1 says, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's because things have been made new on the inside. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The key phrase here is to pursue peace. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, to strive for peace with everyone. It's the context of this is that we are to be witnesses to others. So peace ought to rule our lives. Ken Sandy, in his book called Peacemakers, wrote this. He said, peacemakers are people who breathe grace. People who breathe grace. You think about that. In in our context right now, we, in in some areas, you're expected to wear a mask. And, And the idea is what? You wear a mask for the protection of others. It's not that you're wearing a mask so you don't suck in something. It's you're wearing a mask so you don't spew something. And so you wear a mask to protect those around you. But when we're talking here about grace and and being those that pursue peace, we're talking about spewing out grace. That sounds gross, but we're talking about grace that is spread to those that we're around. And so I'm going to ask you to to do something for just a moment. Now, you may be in a car by yourself this morning, which means you get to talk to yourself, and it's okay to do that. Now, if your windows are down, somebody else may hear you, so be conscious of that. But if you're in a a vehicle with more than one person, I want you to to discuss this idea for about 20 seconds, which I know that's not long, but I wanted to start a discussion about this idea. And so the the question for you to consider, do you breathe grace? And what does that mean? 
Do you breathe grace, and what does that mean? So take about, take about 20, 25 seconds. We'll come back, but you discuss that in your vehicle or think about that in your vehicle right now. I'm guessing that you didn't get to finish your conversation. And so I would encourage you to, to go back to that. The idea of do you breathe grace? Is grace part of your life? So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the key phrase here. Is choose right over easy. Choose right over easy. Sometimes the, the easiest thing to do is not the thing that would fall under biblical principle. It would be, we, we could take the easy road, but it not be what honors God. Um, I was reading in a, in a book, it's a, it's a fictional version of the book of Philippians. And uh, the writer is Calvin Miller, and Calvin Miller is writing this, and He's telling it from Paul's perspective to Philippi, and it's a little different. And, and so as he's in this story, which is it's a fictional adaptation of Philippians, in the story he talks about a lady named Helen. Helen is a faith healer, and she goes around the town of Philippi praying and declaring that somebody will be healed. And so it was Helen's habit to go places. And she went one place, she went to a group of lepers and she would pray over them and and claim in the name of Jesus that they be healed and she did that she would do that and one day she came alongside this this man who was sitting alongside the road had no legs but he was sitting there selling styluses to those that would pass by he was a beggar if you will he was incapacitated and couldn't move and Helen walked up to this man selling these styluses by the side of the road. And she walks up to him and talks to him for just a moment. And she says, and, and I want you to be healed. And so in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, grow long. Talking to the leg, grow long. In Jesus' name, grow long. And, and the writer of this episode, um, he says, I wanted so much for Helen. And I wanted so much for this man that those legs would just grow out and he'd be able to stand up. But nothing seemed to happen. And I felt so um, disappointed and concerned for Helen as she did this. Not just the man, but Helen as well, who had prayed in Jesus' name. And it didn't happen. And so what Helen did is she sat down next to the man selling the styluses and began to sell, sty sell styluses with him. So she crossed her legs, sat there for the whole day, and as the day went on, the conversation between the, between the two of them got uproariously um, filled with laughter. And so they, they shared and they conversed and they laughed and they cried and they did all the things all the way through the day while she sat there selling things alongside this man. And at the end of the day, it was time for her to get up and go. And what she found out was if you sit there with your legs crossed all day long, they don't work the way they're supposed to either. 
And so she went to get up and realized that she was in trouble. And because of the conversation, the man who there was there with no legs, he said, in Jesus' name, grow strong, grow strong. She moved on. And she moved down and she met a girl with no arms. And she came up to her and, and she prayed over her as well. She said, in Jesus' name, grow long, grow long. And, and nothing happened. The, the arms didn't happen. So what did Helen do? She asked the girl, how long has it been since somebody brushed your hair? And so she stopped and she brushed the girl's hair. You see, there are things that we can do that are inconvenient but are the right thing to do. And God does not call us to do the things that are easy. He calls us sometimes to do the things that are hard. So we choose right over easy anytime because it pleases God the Father. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The key phrase for this is to stand for the right things. You know, there are lots of movements and causes that we could grab hold of in, in our culture. But when we start looking at this and, and measure up those causes and movements against the backdrop of Scripture, we have to ask, do they match up with Scripture? And are they worth pursuing? See, there are things that will cause us to be persecuted and spoken evil of, and they are the right things to do because they match up with the character of God. They could cause persecution. They could cause suffering. Now, recently, there have been... Two different cases. One was in Georgia, down toward the Brunswick area, of uh, a young African-American man that was shot by two, two other guys in the neighborhood. And, and we, we sit there, and Deb and I had a long debate about this and, and a conversation about this yesterday because as much as we don't understand the whole story, we do know that somewhere in there, whether it was in the beginning, middle, or end, there's injustice in the, con in the conversation. And being a follower of Jesus Christ means that we stand up against injustices. So we be care we're careful about how we pursue those, but we stand up for what is right. And so we, on one hand, discern very carefully, and on the other hand, stand up for what God says is the right thing. The other case was actually in North Carolina. It was some down there toward the coast, and uh, it was a, a group of people had gone to a particular house, and they called it a lynch mob, and that mob went to the house, and people in the neighborhood stood up for the family that was in the house and stood against the mob that had showed up. That's standing up for what is right. Now, we have choices that we get to make on certain things. And we may need to stand up when it is inconvenient, stand for the right things, understanding that we are not alone in that. See, what Jesus said in verse 12 is that it's going to be just like it was for the prophets before you. And so what Jesus is telling them, he said, listen to this. You're going to have to stand up for the things that are right, and there's going to be people that aren't going to like you. 
stand for the things that are right. One of the way, one of the things that's that's um, heartbreaking, and ought to be heartbreaking for those that follow Christ, is the idea of abortion. Those children who are conceived, knit together in their mother's womb, according to Psalm 139, and their life is terminated before they ever see the light of day. That is a wrong. That is not match up with the character of God. And there are other things where we could stand up for what is right. So that's another thing that we ought to remember and apply to our lives. See, Jesus in this passage is not just giving them things so that they can have something to do. He is giving them things, some basis, some foundations on which to live life in a life that pleases God. It starts on the inside and works out. And as Jesus is sharing that, he's moving people from a religion apart from God to a relationship with God. When I was growing up, I had lots of conversations on my porch. Um, when we were, we'd listen to different things. But I was related to the people on the porch. And I would hear and listen and, and seek to apply those things. Eventually, you know, those things are earthly, generally earthly in nature. At least they were for me growing up. But eventually, the, the truth of Scripture, like we're reading this morning out of Matthew chapter 5, got applied to my life. And so when I was in college, I came to know Christ as my Savior. And I moved from religion to relationship. I moved from being unsaved saved i moved from being destined to death and separation from god to having eternal life and will be in the presence of god forever that's the change that it makes and that's what jesus is doing in this passage is he's starting to relate in this sermon how you move from it being a religious experience to a relationship and he wants us to experience that as well so if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, I want to encourage you to receive the gift that God gives, to receive the forgiveness that he offers through Jesus. He's saying, God, I know that I sin and I can't save myself, but I want to receive your gift of forgiveness. I'll turn from my sin and I want to follow you all the days of my life. God, please come into my life and live through me. It's as simple as that. And you can do that anywhere. There's some that are here this morning as we've grasped some of the truths in this passage that we also need to grapple and, and wrestle with the idea of applying these things, whether it be mercy or standing up for what's right or developing that purity of heart that Jesus is talking about in this passage. And some of us will need to spend a little bit of time with God and, and just dealing with what God calls us to. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and we'll conclude with a song. But God is not done speaking to us. You see, it was, it was assumed that whatever was important that was shared on the porch as I was growing up, that I would take off the porch. That if my mom or my dad gave me instruction, then when I left that porch area, I wouldn't dismiss that and just dump it at the edge of the porch, but I would actually take it wherever I went because it was honoring to the people that gave me the wisdom. 
And so with Jesus here at the edge of his porch, as he shared these things with us, may we take them from the porch on which we are, which we're at right now, and apply them to our lives that it would bring glory to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be challenged by your word. And Father, may our lives reflect who you are. May our lives reflect your character as we soak in, as we live within the blessing that you offer through Christ. Father, guide us as we leave this place this morning. In just a few minutes, you be glorified and honored in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together again as we head out. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Faithful you are.
your promises are yes and amen. Amen. We hope you guys have a fabulous Mother's Day and a wonderful week. God bless you all.